the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, you know, we're no. I think we should change the headline on on this one. It's a, it's a pretty metal headline for a, a a a weird and not super metal story. You know, I would I would argue, Ben, uh, that we double down and just just simplify it and just call it War Pig. You know what? Actually, I am sold on that. And and since our better third super producer, Casey Pegram, is on adventures today, class is out, man. It's up to us. All bets are off. And, and, you know, but I got to tell you, I think super producer Casey Pegram uh, would uh, super approve of the title War Pig because, I don't know if you know this, but he is a devout Ozzy Osbourne uh, fanatic. Are you kidding? It's like the only thing he talks about off air. You just won't shut up about, you know, Iron Man. Iron Man. The greatest song of all time. Black Sabbath. He's always like, he's always pulling the actualies about Black Sabbath. And he's like, did you know they were actually a blues band first? And yep. we're like, yeah, yep. Casey, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so and, this, a, and actually it yeah. wasn't uh it was a dove that ozzy bit the head off of not a not a rat mm-hmm. um i i don't know I, obviously we are totally putting words in super producer casey pegram's mouth uh but i imagine that he feels okay about black sabbath maybe not you know some of ozzy's latter-day stuff got a little samey but i think his legacy is safe overall He's also like the father, the weird kind of drunk uncle of reality television. Well, you know, one thing I will say about Casey is, uh, and it's funny because future Casey is editing this. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I will say about him is uh, a lot of people don't know this, but all of Casey's many tattoos are direct references to Black Sabbath. So if you ever meet Casey in person and you want to get on his good side, ask him about his Ask him about his Black Sabbath tattoos. And, and God forbid you meet him in a dark alley, my friends. Uh, and by the way, Casey uh, is editing this and presumably rolling his eyes really hard right now. Um, we love you, Casey. We're just we're just giving you a hard time. Um, but you know, uh, speaking of reality television, uh, the this today's story has the kind of like early makings of the kind of drama we absolutely live for in reality TV. You know, it's got the conflict mm-hmm. it's got the simmering resentment you know it's got the uh overreaction 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's ultimately got the kind of uh, no, not too much of a spoiler alert, but the kind of anticlimactic ending. Yes, yeah. If this were an episode of reality TV, it would literally be called the Pig episode, and we could call it mm-hmm. War Pig. But this is also known as the Pig War or uh, the San Juan Boundary Dispute. This is weird. You weren't kidding about the pig episode. That is a, an official title of this uh, this story as well. Yeah, that's correct. This, this is a weird one. So, uh, folks, you may be aware of the time that the UK went to war with what would become known as the United States in what we call the Revolutionary War. But did you know the US and the UK almost went to war again uh, due to a series of ridiculous events that began in 1859 on an island called San Juan Island. San Juan Island has nothing to do with Puerto Rico at all. It is a chunk of land located between the U.S. and Vancouver Island. At the time, this place was home to settlers from the U.S. and to British employees of the Hudson Bay Company. What on earth are you guys talking about? You may ask, where's the pig? Uh, we'll, we'll tell you about this strange series of events. By the way, you know, you may have heard of the Hudson Bay Company. They occupy uh, some kind of rarefied space in in the business world in that they were around in the 1800s and uh, continue to be around today. They started off as a fur trading company and then in 2006, still a thing, uh, were acquired by the uh, well-known entrepreneur and American businessman Jerry Zucker for $1.1 billion. Um, It originally was a Canadian-owned company, and that is very much the case in today's story. That's right. That's right. So let's let's take a closer look at San Juan Island. Let's do it. Way, 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 way before the arrival of Europeans, San Juan Island had its own thriving community and culture. Uh, It had a temperate climate. The soil was great. It had tons of resources, marine and timber especially. And this bountiful land appealed to Spain, Great Britain, and the U.S. Each of these empires, each of these forces, explored and charted and mapped and named the islands while they were staking overlapping claims to Oregon County. Oregon County, you'll recognize today as the present states of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and then parts of Montana, Wyoming, and British Columbia as well. Uh, Now, you might be saying, wait, Spain? Spain's in the mix? Well, Spain's kind of in the mix in terms of the name of the island, but they had abandoned their claims by 1818, I think. That's right. Uh, They took off and left it to the English and the Americans who formed a joint uh, agreement in 1818, which, you know, uh, it seemed nice enough at the time. But to me, the idea of joint occupation uh, between former bitter rivals uh, does seem to not necessarily have the longest of term prospects, uh, in my opinion. Seems like somebody would have red flagged that. But, you know, I guess it was a lucrative enough uh, deal that it made sense for both of them to play nice. And apparently they were able to do that. They they lived in relative harmony, um, you know, with um, subjects of each. I, well, I, America doesn't have subjects. Uh, citizens of the U.S. and subjects of the British Empire uh, jointly occupying this land for farming, for um, grazing, right? Uh, Because again, the the soil was very rich, so it made for some good livestock grazing as well. Mm -hmm. And also, if you look at a map of this area, and this is something we'll dive into a little bit later in today's show, you'll see that San Juan Island in particular has a lot of strategic value. So of course you want, if you're the UK or the US at this time, you want to control that spot, you know, resources aside, you want to be able to be a gatekeeper there for transport. So tensions start to mount. As you said, Noel, 
yes, there are trade agreements. Yes, there's heavy investment uh, between both of these nations, both these countries. But over in Oregon County, the U.S. forces think the British presence is offensive, inherently, profoundly, fundamentally so, because they're laboring under the concept of manifest destiny. This land is our land. Long story short. It, it, right. You, you, you kind of nailed it, Ben. It, it is a grand idea, right? But it also sort of, you know... Uh, doesn't really think of others, let's say. It's sort of like, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. Anybody else's interests be damned. Would you say that that's about the the size of it? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Noel. So Manifest Destiny is a, a kind of American exceptionalism. It was this widely held belief in the 1800s, 19th century U.S., that there was some sort of predestination some sort of uh, like it was the fate of the American people to expand across the continent because they were inherently special, inherently different and somehow exceptional in comparison to the rest of the world. British people included. Sorry, your majesty. The thing is, the British did not agree, as you might imagine. They believed that they had a legal right to these lands because of earlier treaties and earlier established activity of the Hudson's Bay Company. Which was a Canadian company, which was under the oversight of the British crown. Yes, yeah, just so. Anyhow, these internal differences uh, and feelings of superiority aside, on June 15th, 1846, in London, they signed the Treaty of Oregon. And the Treaty of Oregon did something really important. Really important, but as we'll see, not especially helpful. Uh, they, the Treaty of Oregon sets the boundary of on the 49th parallel. So from the Rocky Mountains to, quote, the middle of the channel, which separates the continent from Vancouver's island, end quote, then south through the channel to the Strait of Juan de Fuca and west to the Pacific Ocean. Seems clean enough until you, you know, get on the ground. Right. Or even like look at a, a detailed enough map. Uh, it's funny that there's a band from Athens. I don't know if they're still active. It was called Juan de Fuca. And I never knew what that was a reference to. So here you go. Um, here's the thing. Like you said, Ben, there there was, you know, where the rubber met the road, uh, a bit of an issue. The San Juan Islands were in between Vancouver Island and the mainland, meaning that because of this geographical situation, there was actually a channel on either side. And the treaty didn't say which side was the actual border. Exactly. So what do you... (laughs) The channel. I mean, that's right. There's literally two channels. Which one? You got to do better. Well, the one that benefits you is Uh is the one you're going to pick, right? It's a perfect storm for a a, a massive argument uh, and pissing contest. Especially with super legalistic people, right? And uh, diplomats and negotiators. Yeah. So there are two possibilities here. One, something called the Harrow Strait, H-A-R-O, and one, something called the Rosario Strait. The San Juan Islands, right smack dab uh, between these, and both sides round up on their mapping of the 49th parallel, and both sides say, well, yeah, actually, this, this part is ours, so we'll just snatch this part. The first claims from the Hudson's Bay Company come back in 1845. They're based at Fort Victoria, and they claimed San Juan Island, uh, which was only seven miles across the Harrow Strait. By 1851, they had established uh, some pretty strong industry there. Like 1851, they've got these salmon curing stations, Mm. but then the U.S. also enters the chat, as we would say in the modern day, by 1853, the U.S. had claimed these as possessions that were part of what they called the Washington Territory. So then what follows is like another back and forth of people trying to get more diplomatic street cred for their claim to the islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hudson Bay Company's establishing uh, sheep 
farms, uh, or a, a sheep farm rather, the Bellevue uh, Sheep Farm. That's along the island's southern shore. Um, and this, weirdly, I've never really thought of sheep as being a tool of political machinations, but this was just so. Um, it was a politically motivated move uh, because the island's climate and like we said, the the, the soil uh, and the conditions were rife for, for grazing. Um, and the flock expanded from 1,369 individual sheepies to more than 4,500 uh, that were scattered across the island. Yeah. And while this is happening, people in the U.S. who are looking to migrate and settle elsewhere on the continent, they're all hearing about this great review of the San Juan Islands by something called the Northwest Boundary Survey. Uh, these naturalists are saying, you know what's great? If you're looking for a new place to live, hey, this land is your land, right? Come over to this awesome island. You got all the fish you want. The soil is great. The climate is surprisingly uh, awesome. And just to, to backtrack ever so slightly, you know, when I said that the the sheep farm move was politically motivated, I mean, a lot of this stuff was politically motivated. It, it was it was like making the case for their claim by saying, "Well, we established this sheep farm this time, uh, and and it's it's profitable or whatever." Um, or even if it wasn't profitable, just the establishment of all of these various little stations, uh, in their minds at least, you know, kind of upped the ante as far as the validity of their claim was. Was concerned. So uh, by the spring of 1859, we had 18 Americans settling on claims that were staked on some of these really top uh, sheep grazing lands. Um, and they believed that because of the U.S.'s involvement and their kind of bullish uh, handling of the situation, that they would be supported by the U.S. government. And the U.S. government would recognize their claims as valid. Um, but the British uh, not only didn't recognize their claim, they believed them to be illegal uh, and considered the claimants to be trespassers on their prime sheep grazing land. They even referred to them as squatters. And this really started to um, escalate this simmering resentment that we were talking about from the start, right? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. So from the British perspective, these folks are illegal immigrants. You know what I mean? Uh, now, of course, we have to point out the tremendous hypocrisy of the British and the U.S. forces saying that uh, uh, people are illegally occupying land, especially when you consider the native population that was living in North America for thousands of years. So here we are. Both the U.S. and Britain claim the islands are their own. Settlers from both countries have been living and working on, on these islands in this area. And they got along well enough, which is odd when you think about it, because I, I was trying to think of like a, um, an impactful day-to-day -day kind of example or mm -hmm. analogy here. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. imagine, folks, if my pal Noel rented an apartment, let's say I'm a landlord and I, I rent out an apartment to Noel, but then I rent out an apartment to Casey. It's the same apartment. <laughs> These guys are friends, right? But they both say, I own this apartment. You know, why are you always here? Why are you bringing people? Casey shows up with a thousand plus sheep and Noel is like, hey, dude, you can come over. But just to be straight with you, this is my apartment. The tension rises, as Noel said. And it reaches ahead exactly 13 years after the signing of the Oregon Treaty on June 15th, 1859. There's a guy we have to introduce called Lyman Cutler. He is a farmer and he sees this large black pig, a boar, rooting in his garden. His neighbor on the other side of his fence is an Irishman named Charles Griffin. Charles Griffin is watching this pig root through Cutler's crops, and he's he's laughing about it. He's like, ha, ha, yes, oink, oink, get him. And then Cutler's pretty PO'd about this, so he takes out his rifle, and he shoots the pig. Problem is, his neighbor owns the pig, and Charles Griffin, sometimes called Charles Griffith, 
he's not a U.S. immigrant. He's a British subject, and mm-hmm. he is an employee of Hudson's Bay. Yeah, he he was. Um, and I, I, you know, there's there's part of me that can understand his righteous indignation here. I suppose, especially given the the flaring tensions uh, of because of this kind of stalemate situation. Um, but also, like he he was known for letting his pigs roam around the land, uh, whether that was like a, a FU kind of middle finger flex to, to the other inhabitants who were not British subjects. I, I have to imagine that this affected other neighbors of his that were British subjects. So it doesn't sound like the most considerate uh, neighbor to be sharing uh, this plot of land with. So it's highly likely that his pigs had messed around both in Cutler's land before uh, and uh, in others. Uh, Cutler's land admittedly was surrounded by a three-sided fence, according to some official complaints uh, that are around. Um, so, you know, they they let things simmer for a minute and, and, and tempers, you know, cooled down, cooler heads prevailed and all that. Uh, and Cutler offered in what he clearly thought was a very magnanimous gesture uh, and, and probably a very generous one, um, considering, you know, the, we could inflation calculate this probably, but mm-hmm. he offered to pay $10 uh, for the pig, for the life of the pig uh, after the fact, post-mortem. Um, so what would that be? What would $10 be in 1859? $10. Casey, hit us with that sound cue. A boop, boop. In 1859, it's $10 would be the equivalent of about 315 bucks today. If you are wondering what the average cost of a pig is, uh, the average price of a pig under 80 pounds is 230 bucks, roughly. So, So $10 would have been, you know, a pretty reasonable thing. But uh, Griffin, for one reason or another, wasn't having it. And instead, he demanded not $10, but $100. Oh, my gosh. See that uh, clearly, again, knowing what we know about the the inflation, the rate of inflation there, clearly, I I would say $300 for a pig, even by today's standards, seems about right, don't you? feel like it's fair, especially considering the pig was the aggressor. The pig was indeed the aggressor. So this uh, doubling down, this $100 seems designed to cause a problem, right? Uh, And it did because Cutler doubled down in return by saying what you said, Ben, the pig, I shouldn't have to pay anything. I was being generous to offer you $10. Your pig was rooting around in my cabbage patch or whatever uh and i shouldn't have to pay you a dime your your animal was trespassing on my land Uh uh-oh that's where we get into right my Mm -hmm. land trespassing these types Mm -hmm. of terms are very charged yeah i i suspect there was something uh some ulterior motive here man because first the claim about the land, you're right, that's a powder keg. But secondly, that's a crazy price for a pig, isn't it? I mean, unless it was like, you know, Babe Pig in the City or, you know, Wilbur could do tricks and stuff, uh, caliber some pig. Um, yeah, this was absolutely a number that was designed to infuriate. Uh, because if we run that handy-dandy inflation calculator one more time, beep, beep, boop. <laughs> Uh, we get the exorbitant number of $3,151.59. I, I, I I, this pig better, you know, poop gold uh, and do backflips and possibly recite, you know, epic poetry uh, for that amount. Yeah, I mean, maybe Griffith was, you know, maybe it was like his prized pet pig. Maybe they had a deep relationship that can happen. Are you, are, are you are implying it was a sex pig? I am not implying that. No, <laughs> okay. I, I, I was thinking okay. more of like okay, sorry. Em- emotionally it. charged familial uh, bond. You know, a man and his pig. Uh, <laughs> so Ben, you're not talking me down from my uh, my possibility there. I'm certainly, I'm certainly not uh, going to entertain it uh, purposely.
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So this disagreement spreads around the very small community on the island. And the HBC, Hudson's Bay Company employees, obviously go full in supporting Griffin or Griffith. And the families from the U.S. on San Juan, they're about 25 at this time, they, of course, have Cutler's back 100%. So British forces threaten to arrest this farmer, to arrest Cutler. His neighbors go ham. That's terrible. But, they, you know, they go wild. And so they call the U.S. military and they say, look, these British forces are basically invading us. They have no authority here. And Uncle Sam is like, you're absolutely right, you 25 families on this island. Let's send in the troops. So both governments end up sending their militaries to the San Juan Islands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now, not only is this this the island occupied by uh, warring families. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's certainly possible that many of them stayed out of it and, and that they just wanted to, like, go about their business. But I can imagine the taking of sides probably took place because, like you said, Ben, this uh, the kerfuffle kind of began to circulate. And I'm just picturing, you know, the susurrus of, of discontent circulating between the two factions, the Brits and the Yanks, uh, and bring in joint military occupation uh and and that sounds like a real recipe for disaster with already um uh, that reality tv show level resentment uh about to boil over absolutely the u.s forces dispatch 66 soldiers from the 9th infantry regiment to san juan this detachment is under the command of uh, of a kind of hot-headed guy by the name of George Pickett, hailing from Virginia. Just four years after this, Pickett would lead a, well, he would help lead, a disastrous infantry charge 
from the rebel forces into the center of Union lines at the infamous Battle of Gettysburg. But now, four years before Gettysburg, Pickett's unit lands on July 27th, 1859, and they set up camp near the wharf that is occupied by Hudson's Bay Company, uh, Griffin Bay. It's just north of that sheep farm uh, that you had mentioned earlier, Noel. And the regional authorities, the British authorities, are freaked out, understandably, because they're like, hey, we claimed this island, right? Because nobody really figured out the problem with those two straits and, and the problem of that 49th parallel. So British authorities are asking themselves, why in blue blazes, oh wait, maybe an accent, why are the U.S. troops on our island? And then they call in three warships. So if you're just like, to your point about some people probably just staying out of it, some people probably just wanted to fish or to, uh, you know, live their life on their island farm. This is a hell of a week. This is crazy. I think there should be a theme for Animal Crossing based on this story. That's a beautiful idea. Wouldn't I that am be 100% fun? Hundred percent on board. Yes, sir. It's totally doable. I mean, really, what is Animal Crossing if not this situation kind of under a microscope? It's all of these different, uh, you know, anthropomorphic creatures supposedly trying to live together in harmony. And I, I, I'm sure there are little cutesy, you know, disagreements that pop up. I don't really play the game, but I, how fun would it be for there to be like for someone to stage a reenactment of this story on the Animal Crossing island? Um, I think we should uh, we should reach out to Nintendo with our brilliant idea. Um, but the people that were there, you know, now things are really off the rails. Not only is there this disagreement that has turned into a low-key military occupation, now you have these U.S. troops that are moving in and a 31-gun steam frigate. A frigate, which I love that word, by the way. I also love the word wharf. Uh, and that frigate, in question is the HMS Tribune, which was sent to uh, knock Pickett off his uh, his high horse, uh, but also with instructions to avoid out and out war. Yeah, they're they're supposed to avoid a war because you know a war between the U.S. and the U.K. at this time could quickly become a global event, right? Uh, and it would it would certainly be something that would consume the entire continent of North America. So. Uh, in a euphemistic way, you could say the HMS Tribune was sent there to uh, just flex some maritime muscle and inspire Pickett to move somewhere else. Uh, the Tribune's backed up by these other two ships we mentioned. They are the HMS Satellite and the HMS Plumper, which is Love a ridiculous that. name Love for that. a ship. <laughs> it's just, it's so adorable. That's an Animal Crossing warship. Mm -hmm. And these are each ships that pack heat. Uh, they also have 46 Royal Marines in the mix, 15 Royal Engineers. Pickett is unmoved. <laughs> he is uninspired uh, to continue the euphemism. So instead of withdrawing, he writes to his superiors for help. And uh, during this time, for the rest of July and then into August as well, both groups are, uh, both groups are acquiring more support. The British are acquiring more Royal Marines, uh, many of whom are battle-hardened. We're talking about people who had uh, stormed beaches in China not too long ago. And then on the U.S. side, Pickett is kind of concerned with just putting more feathers in his own cap. He, he's thinking, I'm already low-key famous because of my deeds in the Mexican War. This is a chance to make myself even more of a prominent American hero. Uh, he is threatening, he is like squawking left and right. He's threatening the British on their ships. He's antagonizing them. He's saying, you're going to have another bunker hill if you guys try to land on the island. This land is our land, he probably said uh, sincerely without a note of irony. This... Uh, how, how does that old saying go? This um, this something will not stand? This aggression will not stand, there man. There it is, yeah. Do you think any American general ever just, like, aggressively said the words, manifest destiny, and then slammed their fist down on the table? 
<laughs> I hope so. I definitely hope so. Seems like something they would do. So this profoundly offends the British. There's a guy named James Douglas. He's a governor of the Vancouver Island Colony, and he orders the British naval commander, Rear Admiral Robert Baines, to land Marines on the island. Get your house in order, he's mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's smacking that table, to your example, and saying this aggression will not stand. He says, this is a British island. You get in there, you reassert British control. And huge credit, huge shout out to Rear Admiral Baines because he diplomatically refuses and he cites the reason that we mentioned earlier. He said, you know, if we push this too far, with all due respect, Governor, we could end up in a war. And that's the last thing anybody wants. There's something amazing about people who are able to possess that clarity of thought when everything is going south and getting into this, uh, you know, this vortex of bad decisions and uh, reactionary thought. This guy, the Admiral is the one of the first people in the story who says, should we start a world war? Should we start another revolutionary war uh, over this guy's pig? You know, even if he loved the pig. Yeah, However, the, uh, you define love. You know, it's, it's yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay. I, you know, oh, okay. That was a callback. Uh, hashtag sex pig. Um, I feel like we're overlooking slightly, maybe just, just out loud, uh, the idea or the fact that many huge scale wars are caused by some little minute tipping point event. Uh, some larger than others, obviously, like the assassination of Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand and all of that. Um, ben, you're more of the uh, international affairs expert than me, but I think you would agree that huge scale uh, conflicts often result from small scale events. Yeah. Or or, yeah. or triggered by. Obviously, it's not the only thing. It's it's based on a huge run up to that thing. And that's the straw that breaks the, you know, the, the camel's back or whatever. Yeah, that's a really good point, Noel, because we see that multiple factors lead to wars. And the thing that becomes that catalyst, that Malcolm Gladwell-esque tipping point, that can be a, a relatively small thing. It's just it becomes somehow symbolic of the accumulation of those other factors and variables leading to a conflict, you are absolutely right. So Pickett, on the U.S. side, he gets reinforcements, 171 men under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Silas Casey arrive on August 10th, and they go to Victoria and they talk to Rear Admiral Baines. They say, okay, this is a reasonable guy. There's something so surreal and almost like Dr. Strange love about this, how these highly regarded military leaders have to meet up to figure out whether or not they're going to war mm-hmm. over this dispute from these neighbors. And, and so much of it, I mean, you know, we, we use the word diplomacy, uh, but so much of it has to do with personalities and has to do with like these like microaggressions. You know what I mean? Like the idea of someone being unreasonable or uh, pushing someone too far, even just conversationally. Like so many decisions are made based on that kind of calculus. Uh, or I, I, one would hope not by the uh, the the better, more uh, strategic generals, but we know that based on the amazing satire that is Doctor Strangelove, uh, some of these things can be quite arbitrary and based on ego and posturing. Oh yeah, and you know what? I think posturing should be the word of the day on today's episode because this is what follows now is all about posturing, show of force, right? Uh, the The guy we mentioned earlier, Lieutenant Colonel Casey, he goes to meet with Baines. And Baines, by the way, Baines is another battle-hardened veteran. He had been in the Battle of New Orleans in 1815. He's got a, he's on board a ship, the HMS Ganges. It has 84 guns. And when, uh, when Casey gets to Baines and sees the ship, he calls on, he calls on uh, Baines and says, hey, will you come meet us at this lighthouse? And Baines says, ha, 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 nice try, kiddo. I learned a thing or two in my uh, 
days of war and days of yore. I don't know if he's actually freestyling like that, but he says, look, I'm not leaving my ship. Uh, and then Casey looks at the ship and he's thinking, wow, this is intimidating. This, this ship is huge. So he goes back to San Juan and he sends word to say, like, we need more people. We need reinforcements. If we're really going to do this, if we're really going to go to war over some territorial claims and over this, you know, hapless, unfortunate pig, then I need some firepower. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, by August 31st, there were 461 Americans camped out in the woods north of that sheep farm we mentioned, which I hilariously referred to earlier as Bellevue, because that's clearly a thing. It is, in fact, Bellevue. Uh, there was a an errant E that had just dropped off of, of uh, our notes. And those troops were protected by 14 giant cannons, known as field cannons. Not to mention the 32-pound naval guns that were taken off the USS Massachusetts and installed under the guidance of 2nd Lieutenant Henry M. Robert. 
so the Americans were absolutely digging in their heels, um, and the British were over conducting drills with their 52 total guns. Yep, there's the posturing. So they would, uh, they would shoot nearby. They're, this is something we see sometimes with modern-day military exercises, right? You're going into, for instance, the South China Sea, and you're like, oh, we're just making sure our battleships are ready. We're just doing that in front of you. Everyone be cool. We're, we're practicing. This one doesn't count. So that, that's what they're doing. This is maybe the most American part of the story. Tourists get involved. Fun. It's like, yeah, people, and this, this is so weird. This happens in other North American conflicts throughout history. Tourists start traveling to the area from Victoria and they they say like hey uh let's let's go watch let's go watch the military drill do you think there will be a war <laughs> it's, this, it's ridiculous th- this is very interesting ben because i can't believe it's never occurred to me sooner at least as like a good sketch or like a monty python esque kind of situation the idea of war tourists like, obviously, we have, you know, conflict reporters that are civilians that are, you know, embedded in, in war zones and there to do a job. But how come we don't think about, like, the, the, the absurd concept of, like, a family wearing Hawaiian shirts and eating popcorn, like, t- touching down in Sarajevo or whatever to watch the fireworks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It may have fallen off a bit in the modern day, but you <laughs> know what? Saying. We should do an episode about it because it was a thing. It was definitely a thing. And War it's, tourism. Yeah, it's Incredible. kind of messed up. It was considered a spectacle. Uh, it happened in Europe pretty frequently, too. Uh, so there's something else here, and I, and I love that this points out how absurd these conflicts can become. There's something very, like, Vonnegut-esque about this, the officers from both sides, both the British and the U.S., they go to church together. Like, while these tensions are mounting, they, they go to church aboard the HMS satellite. Uh, they also go to the Irish guy, Charles Griffin, or Charles Griffith's home, and they hang out. And they get kind of lit. They drink whiskey and smoke cigars. But they're still, like, after that, right? Like, after their hangout sessions with the Lord or with uh, whiskey and, and cigars after those hangout sessions, they're like, okay, we're going to go back to our post. Let's hope we don't start a war tomorrow. Uh, uh, are you going to do He's not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. See you. Yeah. See you Monday. No, that, that's what I'm saying. The, these moments, the, the idea of these like military uh, leaders lounging around together with their whiskey and cigars. It reminds me of another Stanley Kubrick movie, actually, called Paths of Glory, which mm-hmm. um, isn't quite as heavily satirical as Dr. Strangelove, but it's very difficult for something to be because that one is just over the top, you know, uh, to, to, to steal your word, cartoonishly satirical. But Paths of Glory involves uh, World War One. I, I want to say, um, like trench warfare, hardcore, where these um, generals very callously make the decision to send troops on a uh, an utter suicide mission. And they do it while lounging in this like French villa, drinking brandies and smoking cigars. So that's kind of the, the callousness that I'm talking about. Terrible. And so these, you know, we don't, it's lost to history. We don't know how chill these folks were when they were actually hanging out, or if they were just sort of checking the cultural boxes, right, of going to church, of being officers, holding parlay. Uh, But we do know for the rest of that summer, the officers and forces on both sides were playing chicken, basically. They were trying to get the other side to fire the first shot because then anything they did would be an act of defense, right? So they would not be, quote-unquote, the bad guys, this was going to go sideways very easily. You know what I mean? Forget a Franz Ferdinand. Another pig getting shot could have possibly put the U.S. and the U.K. into a state of war. Luckily, officials from both nations find out about this when news of the crisis reaches Washington in late August. Here's the other absurd thing about this. The officials 
both from Britain and the U.S., had no idea what was happening in San Juan. Because the whole time, the forces there in Oregon County had been like, um, they had been asking their superiors for reinforcements, but they were asking their regional superiors. You know what I mean? No one was talking to the British monarchy. No one was talking to the U.S. presidency. President James Buchanan, when he finds out about this, he has a, oh, snap, this could be bad moment. And so he sends a general named Winfield Scott to investigate. And he says, look, general, you need to go there and you need to make these people calm down because we don't want to be in another war. Uh, Scott had a history about of this. He had a resume. He had eased tensions on two other border disputes. Yeah, something of like a hostage negotiator type vibe or like a, a dog whisperer, but like for troops. Um, so Buchanan... Um, was already up to his neck in trying to prevent uh, war uh, on another front between the northern and southern states uh, of the United States uh, and saw this whole kerfuffle on the island as an absolute waste of time. So he wanted to do whatever it took to shut it down. Uh, and Winfield Scott, uh, you know, with his certain set of skills, was his best hope, I think, right? So he sailed down through Panama, it took him six weeks. He got there uh, in October um, and started chatting with Douglas uh, via, you know, like courier. Um, and the two arranged uh, for each um, leader, each representative of each nation to withdraw their troops, leaving a single company of troops from each side there and one warship, uh, one British warship anchored in the bay. Yep. So peace upon you, San Juan Islands. This joint military occupation lasts another 12 years. During that 12 years, there is no shot fired. Over time, of course, these occupying troops, we're talking about 100 dudes on each side, these occupying troops, they become buddies. They're co-workers. At the, you know, they're co-workers at this point. They get together, they celebrate the holidays, uh, they, even, they even play some sports and games. Uh, after 13 years of sometimes stilted negotiations, you know, held up in part by the Civil War, uh, the U.S. and Britain agreed to allow another party to come in, like a third party, to help solve the dispute over San Juan Island. And that third party they choose is the ruler of a brand new nation, a newly established nation called Germany. That ruler's name, Kaiser Wilhelm the mm, First. Love a good Kaiser roll. What's your favorite type of bread, Ben? Uh, you know, I have thought about this a lot. It's very difficult to choose. I've recently become obsessed with submarine sandwiches. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing some some really uh, uh, intriguing experiments. Uh, ridiculous historians, you may or may not know this, but my long-suffering colleagues have had to listen to me become obsessively wrapped up in different food experience, experiments. Wrapped up? I, like a quesadilla, <laughs> perhaps? Not on purpose. Not on purpose. You got me. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to choose. The, the Kaiser is not named after the Brett, oh, in case well, anybody was wondering. That's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> perhaps the other way around. Uh, perhaps this was the, the Kaiser's favorite Brett. But, but a Kaiser is a, is, a, is a post, right? It's, like a, it's basically like a general or, or an or a emperor or something, right? Yeah, the German emperor. Got it. Or the head of the Holy Roman Empire, mm -hmm. emperor of Austria, or, of course, a round, soft roll of bread with a crisp crust. Mm. I like a nice crusty baguette, or if you want to go completely different route, a brioche. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's this, I, I tried this bread that is croissant bread. It's like a loaf of croissant that is also bread. It's pretty good, man. You gotta get, get those mean, buttery layers in there with the air pockets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, sucker for a Tuscan garlic loaf. I, anyway, Anyway, the Kaiser forms a commission on October 21st, 1872. They announce their ruling, and they rule in favor of the U.S., which means they establish that boundary from the Oregon Treaty uh, to go through Harrow Strait. And this is why the San Juan Islands are part of the U.S. today. This is the final boundary between Canada and the U.S. It's, it's finally set. November 25th. 
1872, the Royal Marines finally moved from their camp. And, you know, I'm speculating here, Noel, but I imagine it was a little bittersweet because these people have become friends and they're like, what's happening to our kickball league, bro? It's not about the dead pigs that caused uh, near military catastrophe. It's about the friends that we made along the way. Exactly. And that is why the only casualty in the entirety of this conflict was that one incredibly unfortunate pig. If you're in the area, why not swing by the San Juan Island National Historical Park? You can still visit the site of both the British and the American camps. And uh, fun fact, it is the only United States National Park where a foreign flag is regularly hoisted uh, over United States soil. And that is because both the flag and the flagpole were a gift from the British government as a sign of the friends we made along the way. You know, there's one thing that haunts me about this. It's just one thing, Noel. What was the name of the pig? You know, it's a good question, Ben. We'll have to just name him in our hearts. Hmm. We'll have to just, well, you know what? Let's all, let's just keep it to ourselves like a wish, like a secret wish when you throw a penny in a fountain and we'll all just secretly name the pig in our hearts because that's where he lives now. That's where he resides. Uh, If you don't want to keep it in your hearts and you want to give us your best, uh, your best names for this uh, unfortunate but historically important pig, uh, we'd love to hear them. You can tell us about it online where you can find us at our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians. Uh, You can also find us on social media, not just as a show, but as individuals. That's correct. You can find me exclusively on Instagram, where I post relatively regularly with, you know, pictures of my 12-year-old, newly quite goth uh, cosplaying daughter and our adventures together, and, you know, music-y stuff and memes and the like, and, uh, uh, you know, all that. Uh, Ben, you're a bit more of a Twitterer, with with, with quite a a lovely Twitter presence. Yeah, that's okay, Noel. Yeah, I am uh, not more a Twitterer. I am on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I just busted one of my cats out of cat jail. Uh, I'm at Ben Bolin. You can uh, also find me on Twitter. Hit me up with weird, ridiculous history facts or questions. Always love to hear them. At Ben Bolin, HSW. You know, big thanks to super producer uh, Casey Pegram, who will be who is with us in spirit and will be joining us for our next episode. He sure will. And Ben, I just want to say, I did not mean to imply that you did not also have an epically delightful Instagram account. Uh, you are just quite the wordsmith on Twitter. And, uh, and, oh, I, and I, I very much enjoy uh, those posts, which you also repost on Instagram in case people miss it uh, and are a Twitter person. So highly recommend you follow both of those accounts of my good friend, Ben Bolin. Ah, shucks. Uh, you don't know. No, I got it. I got to show you this cat. It's a story. It's a story for off the air. Uh, But I don't want to put you on the spot too much, man. Uh, But for folks who don't know, my friend Noel is uh, prodigiously talented in the realm of music. So if you ask him politely, (laughs) you like how I'm volunteering you, man? I Uh, I do. I do. Ask him politely. He might give you a sneak peek of some stuff. I might. And maybe one day I'll make that sound cloud I've been talking about for low these many years. I do. I do have some things in the works though. uh, And I appreciate the shout out, Ben. Um, Huge thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Gabe Luzier, researcher extraordinaire who will be joining us. We've got him on the books for an upcoming very special episode a uh, very special episode um i can't wait uh, we had a really nice talk with him the other day things are going great we're all still friends and uh, i think he's might be dropping in a little more uh, on a regular schedule coming up soon yeah we finally talked gabe into hanging out with us it was a uh, very much a bromance meeting i think but i uh, can't wait to have you on gabe uh, of course also Speaking of music, huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this slap and bop. You're probably hearing crescendo gently in the background now. And uh, thanks to Jonathan Strickland, who, you know, a.k.a. the Quister, who, you know, Noel would have absolutely killed it with some ridiculous British accents in today's show. 100% agreed. We'll see you next time, folks.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 